And our second reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, which you can find on page 1030 in your pew Bibles if you would like to follow along. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if, in fact, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And may God bless the reading and hearing of the Holy Word. You did good, Bob. <laughs> I call him out a little bit, but he approached me before service today and said, really? The Trinity. I get to do the children's message on Trinity Sunday. You know, I didn't pick it out just for you. But it is, in fact, Trinity Sunday, and it is a difficult thing to talk about. The idea of one God in three persons sounds like bad math, or at least important only to theologians and historians, certainly nothing of consequence to us and our understanding of God today. Today's message I, whether our children's message, the one I did earlier, very similarly talking about who we are and, and our different names, um, all of the analogies that we use, you know, the Trinity is like an egg, you know, the, the yolk and the albumin and the shell, or like an apple, the seeds and the core and the skin, or, or, or you know, like water, you know, water, steam, um, and what's the, oh, ice, yeah, um, got to get all those three parts of water in there. They're all heresies at some level. They all get to that place where the church says, no, 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 wait, no, that's wrong. That's not what God is really like. And let me tell you, I took a semester class in, in seminary on the doctrine of the Trinity specifically to learn about these things, and I still really struggle to understand and explain it without getting to those places where we run into heresy the understanding of the Trinity began as a way for the early church to explain how is it that Jesus is fully God and also fully human. It became an issue in the early church. Do we have two gods, three gods, one God? Is Jesus a demigod? How does the spirit fit in? If Jesus is God, then who is this being to whom Jesus refers as Abba or Father? If God descended to earth in the spirit, then how does Jesus, as God, receive the spirit in his baptism? The questions add up quickly and put any mystery book to shame with their limited understanding of what it truly means to be complicated and mysterious. But Paul in Romans points out that it is the hope that we receive from the peace we receive from God through the grace given to us by Jesus Christ and through the love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. I think the most helpful idea for me about the Trinity 
that I learned is that just as the three persons of God are in constant relationship with one another, as the triangle shows, never disconnected, that this mysterious, magnificent, holy God, this triune God, chooses to be in relationship with us. Through the persons of the Trinity, God is made known to us in many ways to be revealed through a variety of names and images and actions, even given our limited ability to understand. Now, while theologians debate the inner workings of God's nature, it is in worship, in our prayers and our hymns, that we give voice to our understanding of God as Trinity. Even if we don't understand the full complexity of the Trinity, we give voice to that complexity that is God in our hymns and our songs. On Trinity Sunday, then, we hear not just a word about God, but a word about ourselves. Because God is relational, the people of God who bear the image of God, who are heirs to God's name, are also relational. Our scripture passages for today testify to the profound love of God that draws us into relationship with God, with each other, and with the whole of creation. And that Romans passage makes it very clear to us that we are God's children. And when we think about being someone's children, when we think about being heirs, we often think of our children, and we think of our children's genetic inheritance, you know, and sometimes we think, okay, well, how does that look? How do our children look? Um, and, and that can have a physical aspect to it. Um, if I showed you a picture of my family and you could look closely enough at it, you would see that I have blue eyes, but my husband has brown um, our oldest and youngest sons have blue eyes. Our middle son has brown. And not that we're getting into a discuss discussion of Mendelian inheritance today. However, the middle son, Daniel, started noticing something when he was a little boy. You see, my dad has blue eyes, and my brother and sister have blue eyes, and their children all have blue eyes. And my mother's sister and her husband had blue eyes, and their four daughters had blue eyes, and all of their children, who are in the same generation as my sons, have blue eyes. And so Daniel was very often surrounded by a sea of blue eyes, and he was the brown-eyed one in the bunch. Until... Until we went to Uncle Sam's wedding. Now, we really do have, Tony has an Uncle Sam. Um, and we went to Uncle Sam's wedding. And at the reception that day, Daniel, who was, oh, we think about five or six at, a time, at the time, started walking around to see this Italian side of our family. And he started looking really closely into people's eyes. All of a sudden, he said, oh, you have brown eyes like mine. And you have brown eyes. You walk to the next person, and you have brown eyes. And you, and, and, and you could just see. I mean, he was almost vibrating with excitement. And you have brown eyes? And you have brown eyes? He had found his people. He was home. <sighs> he knew. Ah, I 
do belong in this family. I'm no longer the, the odd one with the brown eyes, because boy, they don't understand that genetic inheritance stuff at five or six at all, but they do understand I look like these people who are around me. When we talk about being heirs of God, being children of God, what does that mean for us? certainly isn't about the color of our eyes, but we are told that we are made in the image of God. Is that simply about our physical appearance or our ability to think intelligently? No, we are called children of God and given a treasure. To be an heir can mean some things biologically or behaviorally, but even more than that, in Romans The kind of kinship that Paul is talking about is being heir to the kingdom, being the inheritor of God's kingdom. Now, if you're a royal watcher, there's been a lot of royal news lately over in England, a wedding going on, and as always, as a part of it, the potential heirs to the throne are watched very closely, aren't they? Their choices spelled out for them, their lives permanently on display, and people are looking to see, are these people like us? Are they different from us? Do they make choices like we would make? Are they going to make good heirs to the throne? And in some ways, we as Christians are watched just as the royals are watched. We are watched by others to see what is it that these Christians stand for. Now, I learned a practice from a pastor that I worked with, Reverend Philip Short. When we would go on trips with youth, echoes of which, by the way, I hear in Dr. Massey's benediction to you every week when he is here, and Philip would gather all the young people around, and instead of giving them a list of behaviors, and here's what you can do, and here's what you can't do, Philip would look at them in the eye and say, whatever you do and whatever you say is a reflection on your name, on your family's name, on your church's name, and most of all, on your God's name. And so whatever you do, let it be a positive reflection on the name of God. And when sometimes, you know, as, as maybe not always the best choices were made on such trips, Philip would pull someone aside and just ask the question, is what you're doing a positive reflection on the name of God? Are you being the child of God you are called to be? And of course, just as on those trips, and just as sometimes the Windsor royalty is watched and criticized for their choices, we Christians, I'm afraid, do not always live up to the ideal of, what, of the inheritance that we have been given. After all, God's kingdom is not supposed to be like the world's kingdom, yet sometimes we act as though it is. We often act like the business of church is a worldly business, maybe with the way we approach issues of stewardship, of money, or human resources, the way we approach our decision-making or our anxiety for results that are measurable in the world's terms. 
we worry too much at times about our appearance, our productivity, our success. Do we have enough people? Do we have at least as many programs as the church down the street? Are we as organized? Will our children have as much fun? Are we flashy or tech-driven enough? Do people want the prestige of being part of our congregation? Or maybe instead of even worrying about those things, we treat church as though it is simply an accessory to our lives there when it's convenient or makes us look good, rather than making faith a focal point of who we are and how we live. Instead, we focus on ourselves and forget to consider whether by our actions we are pointing people to who God is and calls us to be. To honor God's name, to live up to our inheritance, we are called to be different from the world, which means we place people and relationship above profit, caring for others above capitalism. It means we seek justice and mercy and grace. We don't oppress others or pull children away from their families, but care for the alien and the outcast, as God's word calls us to do over and over again. We don't meet violence with violence, but insist on following the ways of the Prince of Peace. We don't treat human beings as cogs in a wheel, setting productivity above caring or kindness or love. As Christians, it is not simply that we have inherited an eye color or even some kind of special place in the world. Rather, as heirs, we are given a great responsibility, like Isaiah, who when God asks, who will go for me, says, here am I, send me. As with a royal line of inheritance, the role of taking up God's action in the world is ours. Isaiah didn't volunteer because he thought that he had skills God could use or just had a little extra time on his hands or because he was enticed by gaining power over others or because the benefit package was all that good. No, Isaiah placed his life in the hands of the God who encountered him and made him whole. Isaiah responded to the invitation of God to be in relationship, to be touched by the amazing majesty and mystery of God. Isaiah did not have the benefit that we have. God, he did not know the three persons of the Trinity. At most, Isaiah knew God the Creator and may have had some inkling of God the Spirit, often referred to as wisdom, the female spirit figure of our wisdom literature in Psalms and Ecclesiastes. But we are fortunate, for we know God in three persons, a God who is personal, a God who is our Savior, a God who is constantly present with us. So knowing we are God's beloved children, adopted and chosen and named co-heirs with Christ, we are called to be personal as our God is personal, not off as a, at a distance, not separated from the world, but in relationship with God and neighbor, living our faith lives in visible, tangible ways in every aspect of life. We are responsible to live out our role as the inheritors of God's kingdom on display for everyone to see every day. We acknowledge the Savior. We live the deep love of God and place our faith as a priority of our lives. To be heir to God's kingdom is to be visibly, noticeably different from the world. 
so that a person can lean forward and look us in the eye and say, you're a Christian. 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 And know that she has found her people and is finally at home. Therefore, we are called to share the good news of God's love to those who need spiritual nurture. We advocate on behalf of those who are marginalized and care for the ones for whom the world cares little or not at all. We welcome the stranger, we share out of our abundance, and we extend love and forgiveness to all. We often claim Isaiah's calling when people are ordained, but we can claim it for the rest of God's people as well. We claim it for our confirmands this morning. We claim it for moms and dads, remembering that they have a holy calling, that bus drivers and architects and waitresses are called by God, that nurses and teachers and volunteers and accountants and students have also been sanctified for the work of the Lord. You are set apart, marked at your baptism, to bear the presence of our holy God into the world. Sometimes that presence is creative, nurturing young minds, creating hope through word and deed. Sometimes that presence is sustaining, keeping all the systems that govern our lives working efficiently and effectively. Sometimes that presence is healing, caring for those the world has forgotten or reaching out to someone in need. But however it takes shape, that presence is the presence of the holy God of Israel, who is the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through whom we are all commissioned to bear that creative, sustaining, and healing presence into the world. God is calling you. God claims you. God sends you. Will you live out what it means to be an heir to the divine kingdom? I pray for you and for me that we may be those people who help others to see that living love of our triune God. Amen.